Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are recording our very first episode of the new year. You will have already heard one episode that we actually had in the can prior to the holiday season, but now that we are indeed here, post-Christmas, post-New Year's, yes. hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Yeah. So, yeah, so further confusion. So, uh, we're recording two episodes today. Yes. The first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, full disclosure here, because a, a lot of podcasters put episodes in the can. Uh, so we're recording Jimmy today's uh, this episode yep. first. Last week's episode we're actually recording later this afternoon just because guests timing yeah. the way it. So the way it worked in the spirit out. of the show, we're really just doing things. We're just jumping, jumping all around out of order. Chronologically, we're going correct because we're 1964 that's next right. week, uh, or or last week we were 1974, and that's all out of order. Yeah. Never mind. Here we go. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, the Quantum Leap Podcast with and Sam. And Dennis. and Dennis, and returning uh, guest, uh, Christopher J. Stewart. I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, who appeared last season. Truth. That's right. And so we're back for Jimmy. We are indeed. Uh, so, uh, also in the interest of full disclosure, Sam had a really good time last night. Uh, <laughs> it's just, Sam Fain. Yeah. Sam Fain. Uh, my, my wife's sister and her boyfriend are in town, and they're actually getting ready to leave for Spain. Uh, in, a, in a few days, and they're going to be there for uh, quite a few months. So uh, we went out and painted the town red. Had, had a wonderful time. Uh, it's left me feeling the effects of a night out on the town, though. Uh, so I'm a little foggy. But that said, he is like Al Calavici in the pilot episode uh, of Quantum Leap, hung over all the time. That's right. I'm not quite as bad as you know, right hand of God, Al, needing to sleep on a you know, on the. See, I can't even come up with the words. <laughs> it's, right. it's all good. Christopher and I got you back. Also, yeah. in the interest of full disclosure, if you hear the static in the background, that is the uh-huh. heater. Uh, we, like, we we are in Chicago. It's double digits I know. today. Yeah, it's a heat uh, wave. The, the, the first time being double digits in, in, the like last, in the last several days here. So, uh, right. so yeah. It oh, might it might actually get up to 33 degrees today. It's so. a oh, goddamn wow. heat wave. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, so we are covering Jimmy. That's right, Jimmy. This weekend. Um, directed uh, by James Whitmore Jr., written by Paul M. Bellew, and aired November the 22nd, 1989. Our leap date is indeed October 14th, 1964, as Dennis mentioned. Uh, the leapy is Jimmy LaMotta. Um, we're uh, in the LaMotta household as things open up. Why don't you give us that the, wonderful TV guide The TV guide description is pretty tame this oh. time. Uh, Sam becomes a mentally handicapped man in 1964, and he has to find a way to an acceptance at home and in his new workplace, or be sent back to an institution. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. That's a pretty straight, yeah. straightforward description. Yeah. No jokes, no puns. No. There we go. No. I'm surprised they didn't start it off with, like, on a very special episode. You know. <laughs> um, this is, you know, I, I will say, this is, uh, aside from Color of Truth, yeah. this is probably... The first very special episode of Quantum yeah. Leap that that falls into that you into know, that genre, and I would even I would say that I, that's not a knock, by the way. I actually I love no, 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 yeah, yeah. But I would even I would even maybe throw in 
la- you know the last episode, "Thou shalt not" into that list a, a little bit as well. The way that it deals with grief, I think, is, is sure. kind of interesting. But for the most part, yeah, if you're looking at other TV shows that would do their very special episodes, this is probably one that would fall more into that category than and this is any I, other. I, and uh, and I can't remember how it was uh, initially advertised because uh, because I didn't watch the show at this point. Like I came into like a little bit later in the yeah. in the second season. But I do know that this was a show that they. This was an episode that they reran a lot, yes. uh, especially like the summer after the second season. Like they did an NBC did an entire week, uh, Quantum Leap week, where they ran an episode every single night, which was kind of unheard of at the time. But they were really trying to get people to watch it, into yeah. the show, and this was like one of the episodes that they well, featured. And, you know, it's interesting because I seem to remember also that when Sci-Fi Channel would do any of their marathons, it usually it was usually in the lineup. As well, um, you know, not always, but I remember there was one in particular actually that they did on Oscar night, and and I, the reason I remember that is because I was having a bunch of people over to watch the Oscars because, you know, when you're in a theater department in school, that's what you do, uh, and so uh, we were having everybody over. So when I was in college, so there was going to be drinks and etc. But I found out there was a Quantum Leap marathon during the day, so I invited everybody to come over and watch Quantum Leap marathon. And nice, exactly. Um, but. Yeah, so this is this is definitely uh, uh, it's a great episode. I think I think we're probably all going to agree on that. Um, it certainly doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfect. And um, I think that one of the things that really interests me, and, and, and I would love to talk just briefly about, uh, briefly, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a three-hour episode. Is, is the leap in? Um, I think the leap in. It, it's one of the more extended leap ins. Because the leap out and thou shalt not into this is, is you know they chop up yeah they they edit quite a bit of content out actually mm-hmm. um, so that when you see the episode proper and you get the leap in before you know the credits roll and everything it's it's a, it's definitely thicker if you will than, yeah. mm-hmm. than the uh, than the end of thou shalt mm-hmm. not I want to say it was a couple of minutes because at one point I was like is this the episode and then he leaped out and I was like oh okay mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting to, to see the because a lot and a lot of that stuff is you know stuff Frank where you know Frank is telling him to get ready put and your and pants on up. wear your shoes yeah but there is a nice moment where Cord comes in shoots him with the ray gun yeah you're supposed to die you're supposed now, to die now. And, and and Sam improvising just as like this great like I don't know what I'm doing but yeah uh, it, it is interesting like because uh, I forgot like how much they set it up for you to think that he is a kid. A kid, yes. yeah. The way, the way he is dressed and the bunk beds and even the music has this childlike yeah. thing to it. Like, they're really setting you up down that path and then it turns into something else. I right? fell right into that fucking trap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I even said to the call, I was like, oh, he must be like a 10-year-old kid. And then come to find out he wouldn't. I was like, ah, they fucking got me. Well, even Jessica, it's funny, when uh, Jessica, she's not joining us today, but when uh, she saw the episode, um, or bits and pieces of it, she had watched the whole thing with me, um, but when she saw the beginning, yeah, she was like, oh, that's interesting, thinking that he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, come find out inside, she's like, oh, oh. Um, which kind of brings me to the next point. Um, the word retarded gets used... Yeah. A lot. Oh, so, so, so that was the thing that I was going to bring up, and and, and and in our setup before before we started recording, I meant to bring this up. Like, are we going to say the word or not? 
because some people have some really strong yeah. feelings about that. Absolutely. Oh. And it's it's yeah. It's one of those things where clearly like with color of truth, there was a word that we weren't gonna say. Yeah. Just not gonna say. Yeah. With this it's you know, still something similar. Yeah. Okay. Just say our bomb. Our bomb, the R bomb. Okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah. So we'll call it the R bomb. And it, it's like because uh, you know, as, as I was starting to watch this episode the other night, uh, I, I looked up the history of the word, mm-hmm. and I think the reason why uh, the R bomb is more acceptable to say as opposed to the other word is like the other word, like it was always an oppressive word. Yeah, like right. it was never, you know, there was never any other use for the word. But uh, the R bomb. Thank you for that. The, yeah, the R bomb uh, did have this weird overlapping for about twenty to thirty years, where it was both like a, a pejorative. It was a slang term to call someone stupid or an idiot or whatever, but it was also the clinical definition yeah. for someone with an intellectual disability. Yeah. Now, uh, I said that when they dropped it the first time, how many people cringed? Because I know I did. You know, at the time though, when this episode aired, like, it was still acceptable, like, to use that word if you were not using it as a pejorative, right. but using it, like, clinically to describe someone, it was still acceptable to, to say that word. And I think the thing that, for me, that was interesting about it is in remembering the episode and knowing specifically the leap in when Sam, you know, s- looks in the mirror and like after Frank has kind of told him uh, what he says uh, to say to the boss or whatever like Sam says it and in my memory I had given that quite a negative connotation then when seeing it actually in the episode I was like no I get it like because you know Scott Bakula delivers it with a certain sensitivity and it does like it doesn't it, it, there's no kind of Oh God! I can't believe this. You know right. what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just very much. It's just sort of like statement of fact and kind of like I don't know how to handle yeah. this. Yeah. So it it actually oddly enough it did not bother me at all. It didn't bother me when Frank said it first because Frank says it first about mm-hmm. like you know remember telling you not the R bomb that you're slow. Dude, yeah. And then and then Sam says you know I'm the R bomb and so it's like it, yeah for some reason it didn't bother me at all because it was to me it did feel a little bit more and it's interesting the line that Frank straddles with that because for him the word just in general regardless of whether or not it's any sort of clinical usage or if it is a pejorative like he just doesn't want to hear the word he doesn't want to think of, of Jimmy that way he doesn't want anybody else to say that word to Jimmy he doesn't you know mm-hmm. so it's really kind of interesting whereas when Sam and Al talk about it later in the episode to them there's not They'll use the word, but not in you know not in the sense of you know not in the pejorative sense, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it, you know they're using it clinically. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And, and it's, it, like there are so many like strong feelings about it. Like there, like there's a whole campaign I think it started like three or four years ago called uh, "Spread the Word to End the Word." And in that movement, like they they treat it very similarly to yeah, you know, like 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 a racial sure slur, yeah. Yeah, it you know, and the thing and the thing is, is that it's like I feel I could be completely wrong about this. This is just you know my hungover brain throwing stuff out there. But I feel like with you know a, a racial epithet or, or or a word that is used you know against homosexuals or something like that, I think that it's those words in a way have been taken back mm-hmm. and 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 used in in casual or. or 
you know, humorous situations by a person of color or by a person of a different sexuality, and 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 they kind of have almost empowered themselves to be able to use those words while other people can't. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is a word where I don't like that. That would not happen in the same way because of the condition with which we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not. You know, if someone if, if someone has some sort of um, Mental disability. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it's going to be a struggle today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if somebody does have a mental disability, you know, they may not be able to understand if they're using that word. You know, the, the, they might not be able to, use, to have the same context that a person mm-hmm. of color using a certain word mm-hmm. in, in casual conversation with another person of color is going to have. Whereas if you have two people that are mentally disabled, they might not necessarily be able to use that word in the same way, is what I'm saying. That's interesting, I find, because uh, my ex-wife, mm-hmm. uh, we both went the same path of, like, we did community college for a couple of years, and then we went to university, and we met at university. But when she was in community college, she worked uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a day facility with the mentally handicapped. Okay. Uh, so she had very strong feelings about the R word. Like, sure. And, like, when we first knew each other, like, I think there were a couple times, like, I dropped it in, in you know like in conversation like he did sometimes and she expressed very strong feelings about it and that's where I first learned that you know some people you know, really have strong feelings you don't yeah. you don't uh, use it um, and then after we we got married and then we moved back to Louisville where she is from she went back and worked at that facility even for uh, for the first year or so of our marriage uh, but I bring that up to say she said like one of the really interesting things about working with that population is actually most of them, even if they do have a very uh, limited mental capacity, like even if they have the mental capacity of just a five-year-old, they know enough to know mm-hmm. that they are mentally disabled. They know enough to know what a shitty hand they got dealt, yep. and sometimes they will play it. Sure. <laughs> Be- because the thing is, like, they they know they can do it. Like, I'm, I can't remember specifics, but, like, very specifically, like, she worked with one, uh, she worked with one person that when they were out in public, like sometimes he would just he would just go on a tantrum and like pull and grab her hair and and do things and like he knew he wasn't supposed to do it, mm-hmm. but he knew he could get away with it because of his limited mental capacity and how he was viewed. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if I have a point much beyond that, but it, just to bring up no, the point, no, she's, I mean, she's like, the interesting thing is, like, sometimes, like, yeah, they, they do understand the shitty hand they got dealt, and they will, they will play that. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, and like I said, I mean, I, just the, the ravings of, of a lunatic over here, but I, I, it's, it's just a thought that I had about, you know, that the way, the, again, that the way that certain words do hold the power, and sometimes people can, you know, like I say, take them back, and it does, it does make you wonder if that's a possibility if it's even you know again I think most importantly if it's even something that would be a desired possibility you know from anyone in that community much less anyone who's you know caregiver to anyone in that community but mm-hmm. all that said all that said uh, one more tangent before we jump into the meat of the episode yeah. is uh, you know something I forgot at the same time that this episode of TV came on, mm-hmm. a couple of months before the series Life Goes On. Oh, yeah. Debuted on, what was it, ABC, I think? Yeah, sure was. And it was, and it was Corky? Uh, Corky. Mm-hmm. And he was the first character and the first actor 
with Down syndrome to be to be featured as a major Courtney. character. Yeah. All these feelings are flooding. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I so I, I, I say that to say like I wonder how much of this episode was influenced by that. Was influenced by that. It's like, oh, we're we're gonna kind of sure. we're, we're gonna kind of do our take on this. So. Well, yeah, and, and let's face it, you know, I mean, the 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 actor um, that they got to play the the mirror image, um, Brad Silverman. Um, you know, was was an actor that I, I, I again. I mean, I'm not qu- quite sure what what the clinical you know, definition would be of, of whatever. But I mean, he was he was someone who had um, you know diminished mental capacity, or, mm-hmm. or and so I think that uh, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I maybe there there was there's a time when if an episode like this were to air, that that mirror image wouldn't have been that. So maybe life goes on did have something to do with that. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just you know mm-hmm. speculating purely here, but. Um, yeah, you know that's interesting. I, I I I had thought of that before, but not right now. Um, the funny thing is, is that um, we used to. That was another show that we used to watch in our house, and that was mm-hmm. one of those things that I feel like uh, my mom and my sister and I like. We would all get together and watch it, and then sometimes it would just be like my sister and I watching it, and you know, watch it for quite a while. And and I and I feel like in some ways that that show was the first time that I'd ever. Um, there were a lot of things depicted on that show that for, I mean, I would have been like eight years old, I think for me, it would have been the first time that I have, that, that those things came into my awareness, uh, in that way, you know, like for instance, I was aware of the AIDS epidemic at that point in my life. Cause I mean, how could you not be being, you know, hell, I feel like by the time I was four or five years old, I knew what it was because it was 1985. Yeah. Um, but, but in, you know, by 1989 to see it depicted on television, cause there was a character that had, uh, HIV on the show. And that was something that, you know, for like a primetime family drama, if you will, I mean that was a big deal. That's really big. Um, in addition to you know to to quirky, but uh, yeah, interesting. That's all I got. All right. Well, let's let's <laughs> jump let's into do it. let's jump into the meat of the episode. So so yes. Actually, the, tell your Frank story real quick because you you've got a oh good Frank oh story. Uh, yeah. So uh, the actor plays Frank John Diaquano, a friend of mine who lives in Chicago, Aaron. Uh, he actually had John DeCano as an acting teacher in college. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, um, as part of some project, uh, my friend Aaron, like he, he did like a, he directed like a short film that like took place like at a backyard party and he got, uh, John to do him a favor and, and just be yeah, in his party. movie, like as a guest, just like as another guest at the, uh, at the party. Awesome. So yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah. And he, you know, and honestly, I think he's, I think he's pretty great in this episode. I mm-hmm. really do. I, yeah. he, I, you know, uh, I think that one of the things that um, Thou Shalt Not does as well, uh, and, and I just think that there's been a string of them so far, is that we've really gotten away from some of the more hammy, over-the-top acting that we kind of saw in parts of the first season, uh, for sure, mm-hmm. and, you know, and early on in the second season, maybe, I feel like, like we, you know, we mentioned a few episodes ago, this is sort of starting to be the sweet spot of the show, mm-hmm. and, and there's just some really great performances, the writing, you, you know, might be fairly basic in some instances, mm-hmm. but it's usually elevated by the performances, or, you know, the stakes in, in some way, so I think that, yeah, I think that this is a good example of that, because I do think that everybody does a really good job in this episode, I mean, mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple, there's maybe a couple of times where they're, they're milking a little bit, but for sure, yeah, you know, yeah. but for the most part, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John DeCarno was also in Sequest DSV. Right. Do you remember that show? Uh, which came on, uh, the year after Quantum Leap ended. And that was a show that I really tried to get into because after Quantum Leap ended, I just, I desperately needed to find my next Quantum Leap. Yeah. Like, like the next show 
that I was really into, and I tried to make it Sequest, and that just didn't happen. Oh! You know, I I, I, I stuck with it for the first season. Totally. I did. I, I loved the yeah. first season. It was like when... Uh, did you watch the show, Chris? I, I vaguely remember seeing a episode or two, but I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I loved the show for the first season, but then for the second season, what they did was like they fired off most of the older actors, and yeah. I can't remember if John Diaquano was one of them. But they fired off most of the older actors, and they brought in a bunch of young people because they were trying to kidify the show to appeal to the younger audience. Wait, this is a sci-fi thing that they're trying to kidify? Yeah, and so actually, and so actually, by doing that, like I still like watch the second season, but I I wasn't so much into the second season. So did they try to dumb it down? Yeah, I mean, they tried to dumb it down and bring in like some younger hot people to try to make it more of a more of a thing. Uh, Because like the first season, uh, Royce D. Applegate, who played the sheriff in Color of Truth. He was on the show. He was one of yeah. the actors who definitely got fired at the end of the first season. And so did yeah, Ben I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his last John. John got fired. Yeah, John oh. did get fired. His character, Ben Krieg, was uh, was given the axe. But he did come back in an episode at the very beginning of the third season, which is by the time that Michael Ironside had taken over. Was it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Roy yeah. Schneider had no love for that series. He loved it during the first season because he, he had a lot of input. Oh, it was okay. His, like, he was one of the people that initially was just sort of like, I don't want to do this show. And they're like, well, but you don't understand. It's not going to be Star Trek Underwater. We're actually going to, you know, have like yeah. a message and talk about, you know, the ecosystem. We're going to talk about it. And he was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. There Which actually kind of makes the pilot episode a little bit more fun in a way because they have to convince his character to come take to, to come to do that to captain yeah, the ship. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, I mean, I got a lot of comparisons <laughs> to Star Trek, but also yeah. people ought to forget the sixty series, uh, the sixty oh, series yeah. voyage to the bottom of the mm-hmm, sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some critics yeah, actually they called, they called Sequest voyage to the bottom of the ratings. Ooh. It started strong. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what happened, and I remember this, and and I can remember being torn even at the time. It aired. Opposite Lois and Clark. Yes, it did. And so there was a there was a big fight in the ratings over which show was going to win. And for most of the first season, Sequest won. Wow! But by the time season two came around, Lois and Clark just left it in the dust. Yeah, oh, I mean, just won over Terry Hatcher's fire. I did. I really <laughs> did. Which there's another connection to Quantum Leap, right? Oh, there, there we go. Yes, but yeah, yeah, it really did. If if you if you look at it, it's kind of funny. But um, I, I don't think I don't think it ever got to a point where like Lois and Clark's late ratings were low. It's yeah. just that Sequest was beating it on a fairly consistent basis. But but then over the summer, Lois and Clark just blew up, and part of it had to do with the fact that. Terry Hatcher and Dean Cain were on the cover of everything. Right. Every sure. magazine. They were, every, they, they were everywhere. And much so more photogenic than Roy Schneider. Right, exactly. And so, God rest his soul. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it was. I remember that um, at the time. Because I, I was much the same way. I was looking for that. I needed to have... You know, post quantum leap fix, and and Sequest was on NBC, and NBC wasn't going to steer me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't know how I felt about seeing Superman on TV because I was just a huge fan of the the movies with Christopher ah. Reeve. So like, I wasn't quite sure how I felt. You know, and then how do you feel about Dean Cain? Well, ah, now that's how today, feels. <laughs> uh, I hope he and Fox News have a long and lovely marriage. Really? Oh, um, come on, Superman! You know what? That's not even getting it. I just can't. I just can't. How could he? How could he? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> do you know? Do you know Dean Cain? Like, he's a big, big, the, like... A Trump, Trump supporter. supporter. Yes, oh, yes. 
and and you know, no offense to Trump supporters, but uh, offense. I don't care. Yeah, I was gonna say. Sorry, you can you can you can you know. Yeah, if, uh, I, I did see one cute moment yeah. uh, in the news recently, like him and Brandon Ruth. Is that? Oh yeah, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Ralph. Brandon Ralph. Yeah, they they wound up on the same flight together, a few seats away from each other. Oh, no so way. like, so one of them like took a, a selfie. With with the other Superman like in the background, like them both having like a weird look to the camera, like two Supermans in one place. That's funny. At once, I think. I, oddly enough, I do think that Dean Cain is actually playing uh, Supergirl's father on the new Supergirl TV show. Right. He, he did. He that did right, appear. Right. Yes, yeah. and, and Helen Slater is playing. Yeah, which, Supergirl, which I dig. Like that, that's cool. Yeah, secret of my success, man. Helen Slater could have just. I was a young boy and didn't know what I was feeling, but <laughs> oh. Alan Slater. Yeah, just saying. Just saying. But anyway, Quantum Leap. So we so we jump from the first scene to uh, to breakfast, right? Well, which one of the things that gets set up in that first scene that I don't know that we explicitly stated is that uh, Frank has gotten Jimmy a job uh, interview Mm -hmm. at the dock. Yeah, at the dock, and it's a super important opportunity. And Frank is clearly like you know really trying to hammer it into Jimmy. It's like now look, you need to do this. You have to do this, and remember, you're not the R bomb. Just slow. Just you know, and and this continues you know throughout Mm -hmm. throughout the opening scene. Uh, but yeah, then we get to breakfast and we meet Connie, uh, the mm-hmm. wife. Um, Hold on, I have a question about uh, this is nineteen sixty four, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. How good of a gig is a dock position in nineteen sixty four? You know that is a good question. Mm-hmm. I would think because most likely it's an opportunity to go union or be union because a dock workers union, you know, is a thing. I, mean, I don't know what it would be like in Oakland, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking that it would probably be a decent job. Mm-hmm. So setting up his brother with a job at the dock is basically their ticket to get out of any financial issues they might have. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that even comes into play as the episode goes on, and I don't know that this is it's explicitly stated, but you can imagine that with some of the, the friction between like Connie and Frank, that some of that might be coming from Connie thinking like, well, we've got another mouth to feed now. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, and yeah. now if he's able to bring in income... Yeah, absolutely, which yeah. things for them. Well, I mean, and I think it's actually more or less stated, like, they they, they took Jimmy out of the institution uh, with, with the intent of getting him the job. Like, like yeah. Frank, he was well enough liked by his boss in the job, like, he felt confident enough that he could take Jimmy out of the institution and get himself with the job fairly quickly. And you can tell very early on, too, that this is, like... This is a goal that Frank has had. Like Frank mm-hmm. has wanted, you know, he wanted to get Jimmy out of there. That 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 he was he was literally working to get his brother out of the institution to set him up to get him the job to get. You know what I mean? Like this is something that I think you know, even though he's a married father, that 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 he he's his brother's keeper as well, mm-hmm. and so that this was extremely important to him to get Jimmy out and get him a job and. Uh, the one question that I do have is I wonder if because uh, I, I, I just watched the episode uh, I can't remember if it's addressed but I almost wonder would Frank let Jimmy like get a place of his own you know what I mean I, I mean it, it's set up so much like they, they talk about and, and I didn't take the time to do the research to how like the the mentally handicapped were integrated into society mm-hmm. or not but just taking the episode at face value and what the script says like at this time the mentally handicapped were not integrated into society. They were just put into institutions. So I think Jimmy getting set up with a place of his own, he's probably years off sure. from that. Yeah. Uh, if ever. 
so I, you know, I think like the end goal is like you know he is going to be living with them. It's just you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know he he needs to be a productive member of society. I mean, I just googled it just for the heck of it, and there's an article here talking about social integration of mentally handicapped persons from 1981. So you got to think that in '81, wow. you know, mm-hmm. there are articles coming out about you know about this subject. So yeah, in '64, it would probably be very very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that that yeah, that more than likely it was sort of like if he's you know if I'm getting him out, he's he's with us. You know, mm-hmm. he's gonna live with us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and having an extra family member stay with you is a strain, yeah. no matter what. Yeah, it can absolutely be. Uh, but anyway, so at breakfast, we're also introduced to Corey. Uh, yes. Well, we've seen Corey before, but now we get. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. More, more, yeah, more introduced. Shoots him with his ray gun. That's absolutely yeah, correct. Uh, so we get to introduce like their their relationship, him and Uncle Jimmy's relationship. And yes. There's a moment of reading the newspaper and, and Sam taking one section and starting to read it. And yeah. Everybody's like, well, what? Yeah. Well, what are you like, doing? You like yeah. the funny papers? What are you What are you doing? Well, it's interesting to me because one of the things that we've talked about before is how people would view, in particular, how people would view the person that Sam has leapt into after he leaps out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are things that Sam does in the episode that. I don't imagine anyone would be scratching their head over, you know, like, oh, Jimmy couldn't do that. And even this moment, like, you get the sense that Frank, like, at first is a little bewildered by it, but almost is also just sort of like, oh, he's, he's pulling my leg. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's getting ready for his big interview. It's like, you know, here's, he's, he's going to start a job. He's going to read the paper like his big, you know, his sure, brother. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Just yeah. trying to be like his big brother and do the things that his big brother is doing. Mm-hmm. But we as the audience know that he's really he's reading, actually the paper. reading the paper. Yeah. And he's doing it so we can find out where when, he is when, yeah, yeah, in the day yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it is a funny moment also because um, then he tells him you usually look at the comics and so he hands him you know the, the funny pages and Corey offers to read the, the comics to yeah. Sam mm-hmm. um, we also get the information that he's only been there for a couple of weeks right uh, which I think is also you know interesting it's like this is still kind of a new situation for them yeah. uh, to have Jimmy in the house um but it's just a really, really nice moment. It's like one of those great, uh, as a guest appearance by uh, Al. <laughs> Hello. Cat, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, one of our cats. But anyway, uh, uh, um, the, the family dynamic in general, just the relationships, I think, are, are set up pretty well, uh, especially as far as how, like, Frank, Frank just seems like a good guy. You know, good, a good father, mm-hmm. a good, you know, good brother. They're having fun. They're joking. They're singing the song about the Cocoa Puffs or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I, yeah. even, like, he's the kind of person I would want to hang out with. Like, even when he read the paper, he said something along the lines of, I need to see if I want some money. And his wife was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I got the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. yeah, the Niners. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... Yeah, I, the, there's just which but which might watch that episode that time. What a horrible cover! If I want money, well, if the Forty ers one, you just said the same yeah, thing. You just clarified your point. You didn't cover yourself at all. Anyway, uh, and you also get the sense that Connie's a little like she's a little irritated by the whole thing. Oh, she's not. Yeah, you know, she's not on board. No, no. But I will say that one of the things that we definitely get from Connie is that, with in, in contrast to some other characters that we've seen that are having like conflicts, especially if we were to go back to our um, 
Americanization of Magico episode mm-hmm. and and the mother, for instance, uh, we, she doesn't come off as just like this total awful human being who dislikes Jimmy because he's mentally handicapped or mm-hmm. you know she, she's not bigoted. She's not like she just is having difficulty adjusting to having another person in the house. Yeah. She's she would be perfectly with... nice if Jimmy was just visiting, right? But Jimmy is living with them, yeah, and that's yeah. And she even says later in the episode about how you know she's. I feel like she has to take care of another child, yeah. you know, basically. And and so, yeah, clearly that's going to be difficult for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got her son, and, you know, and, and I think that's another point of contention there. But it, 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 anyway, that, that the dynamic is set up really nicely in this opening scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cats are being mischievous. Um, so at this point, um, uh, Corey leaves for school, mm-hmm. um... And Connie, you know, being the overprotective mother, and she's like, come home early, don't be playing down by the wharf, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Foreshadowing. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then Sam, as he gets up, he spills the milk. Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that uh, will continue throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a couple of times where you see something that Sam does, or, you know, breaks something, spills something, whatever, and the context, it makes complete sense. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you got bumped into, or this happened. Sure. And then there's a couple of times where it's just sort of like, man, Sam's just having a shitty day. Yeah, <laughs> well, at that time, like, it builds oh up. It's God. like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, he, he says later in the episode, like, if everybody treats you like like you're an idiot, like mm-hmm. you're supposed to screw up, yeah, you're gonna... Right, you know, right. That. That's, yeah, and I and that was actually a really cool moment that mm. when he when he says that because it, it it does make you start to it was a moment that i think gave you the opportunity to look at the situation in a different light mm. and i think it's one of the things that the show you know when it does it well it, it's just one of the hallmarks of the entire premise of the show mm. because it gives us the opportunity to see this sort of like you know every man sort of character barring the incredible genius that he is. Yeah. Um, but, but this everyman sort of character being put into these different situations and then kind of like, it's like, oh yeah, imagine if you were treated that way all the time. You know? Absolutely. So we get into, so we get to the doc. We get to the job interview. Right? Well, Al, Al shows up first. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we have this scene with, uh, oh, with, with, with Al showing up and, um, and, and, and Sam telling Al that he is the R-bomb and, yeah. and, and Al basically explaining to him like, Like, this is what your mental capacity, what your mental capacity is. You have the mental capacity of a 12-year-old. You can read, you can write, you can hold a job. Like, Al's coming off very, you know, not only knowledgeable, but very passionate about these things. Like, just kind of like, he's like, you are are a normal human being. There is nothing wrong with you. Yeah, I like, like, he has a line like, you know, you you really couldn't tell us, you really couldn't tell much difference between you and a the rest of the screw-ups. I can't remember what the exact line is. Yeah, well, because he tells, because, like, because uh, Sam asked, and this is, a, this would certainly be a moment where I could, I, I, I did not, again, I didn't cringe. None of, none of it really bothered me when I viewed the episode, but I could understand how this particular moment would bother people when Sam asks Al how he should act. Because he doesn't know how to act mm-hmm. our bomb. You know? Yes, yeah. And that's, and one of the great, the great response that Al has is, act normally. Yeah. You know? And, and then, and, and, and then, and then it qualifies like, it. Like, like, that's not that's a not, dig. That's not a dig, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because, like, usually, like, Al is the one, like, cracking jokes and everything. Sure, sure. And so, like, Sam is the one who has to, like, slap his hand and tell him to stop joking around. And, like, from the very beginning of this episode, mm-hmm. Al is being, you know, completely serious and reasonable. And yeah. Yeah. He, he's the voice of reason. 
in a lot of ways. Talking sense into Sam. By the way, um, were you guys looking at what I was wearing? Oh, always. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I really. It, it was very green, oh. and it kind of just fit in with all the like the like the greenery of the. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it looked like somebody puked a forest on him. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, these are. Yeah. I mean, in the last episode, he wore an outfit where I swear he looked like a bag of Doritos. Like, <laughs> I know, it's, it's, yeah, I, it is. Uh, I don't know if we've ever like brought this up in an episode. Like, it, it is interesting to know, like, the reason why they dressed out like that yeah. on the show was so, for, like, for the casual viewer popping in. They wanted Al to be dressed so weird so that people know he does not belong in the time period that Sam is in. He's Mission from the future. Yeah. <laughs> he is he is Wow. He is future boy. This is how we're gonna dress in the future. The future man. <laughs> so do you think they had a budget for each episode to figure out just how weird they were gonna dress Oh, in? I'm sure. I'd, yeah. I'll, I'm willing to bet there but was I, I will say costume budget. Budget. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 about this point, like they're hitting their stride with his outfits of, of just like this is what Al looks like. You know, and this is something that we talked about in, in, in or will talk about, have talked about depending on your point of view. In Time travel! Um, in Thou Shalt Not uh, there's some interaction that he has with the hand link um, and, and sort of there are a lot of those sort of the things that will become just staples of the show that are really starting to appear for the first time. Sure, yeah. Uh, and the costumes, while we've been seeing costumes like you're saying, they really started to dial it in here. And it started to get kind of standard you know Loud shirt, loud vest, loud tie, mm-hmm. you know, and that was kind of the, the outfit from the, the motif, waist up, yeah. pretty much, that he almost always wore. Once in a while, you get a little something different here or there, but for the most part, that was it. You know, yeah. Vest, shirt, tie. Yeah. Sam. There we go. So they have this discussion about how Sam is, is, is supposed to behave, and basically he is there to get Jimmy integrated, which yes. did not happen. Right. In yes. the 1960s. And he, you know, and, and, and Al, again, gets a little passionate about the fact that at that time people thought it was just much easier to, you know, throw him in an institution, and, mm-hmm. and that was that. Um, and, and again, Al's just being very compassionate, mm-hmm. not only to Sam, but to Jimmy. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so now we get to... So now, that. yeah, now we're... Uh, there's, there's one more reminder, like, of... of Frank telling Jimmy how he's right. supposed to be. Hey, really like, yeah, yeah, don't do this, don't do this. I love Sam's line. Can I pick my nose? Yeah. No, you can't. Yeah. yeah. But before yeah. that, too, there's this really sweet moment where he's telling him, yes, sir. And, like, uh, you got to say yes, sir, to the boss. And, and Sam responds with yes, sir, to Frank. And he's like, no, you don't have to say yes, it to sir. me. And, and it's like, like, okay, Frank. And it's <laughs> and like, because I I, I, I I watched that moment and I'm like, Frank, you are not making it any easier because oh, you, are, no. you are drilling him yeah. so hard, like... I would be confused by that exchange. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and we also get the information that, like, Frank has a letter from the doctor. Like, this is, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly this is something that he's worked really hard, you know, on his own and with other people to be like, this is okay. And you gotta, in a way, you gotta be like, kudos to that doctor. Uh-huh. Like, the doctor's like, yeah, yeah, Jimmy can go work on the docks. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, all right, cool. Um, and then we get into the to the office. To the, to the interview scene and... Uh, the boss. I don't think I don't know if we ever get the boss's name. Uh, uh, Charlie. Charlie Samuels. Charlie. That's it. Yeah, Mr. Samuels. Yeah. yeah. 
And we, we have the, the, the one memorable line. He's looking over his resume. He's like, I don't know. And then he shouts like, I like your brother. I don't think I can give you a job. And Sam's like, I'm slow, not deaf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like yelling at him. Yeah. yeah. And Charlie uh, is played by Michael Aldridge, um, uh, who I, I, I really like in this. Mm-hmm. I think he does a great job. And, you know, and the nice thing is you can tell he's conflicted. And at times he's conflicted because he's uneasy about having Jimmy work for him. And then at other times he's conflicted because he's like, Jimmy's a good kid, but I, I, I got pressures, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, he had an interesting career. He actually passed away in 1997. Mm. Um, but before that, he, you know, again, was actually on Life Goes On for a while. Oh, uh, there we go. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I liked him in this, and I think that this scene is played really, really nicely as well mm. um, by both he and Scott Bakula. Yeah. But he gets a job, and so we get, like, the nice little musical moment of, of, of hugging and celebrating. Yeah. yeah. Frank's ecstatic. is just so proud of him. That's, yeah. That's one of the sayings that, like, really captivated me because, like, you could just tell that he he never thought that he would get the job. He thought he was going to screw up, and then when he found out he got the job, he was like, my life is going to be perfect. I'm going to be living mm-hmm. my brother. It's going to be great. Yeah. 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 He's really, that's it. That is the other thing that's cool. Like, he's excited to be, like, at work with his brother. Uh-huh. Like, he's like, there's this excitement of just sort of like, Jimmy and I, working yeah. on the docks together. Like, this is great. Like, yeah. Pop can see us now, and, you know, yeah. he even brings that up at one point. It's also cool because one of the things that just, like, from a sort of a filmmaking perspective that I enjoy is that the scene between Jimmy and, and Charlie actually is left open-ended in a way. Like, you don't ever hear Charlie say, like, you got the job. You got the job, yeah. We see the, we see Frank and, and you know, and, and with Sam, and initially, you know, you get that heartbeat of a moment where, like, That's Sam right. walks yeah. up, and then, you know, you see Frank's face, and then all of a sudden it's like, bam, yeah. and then what you're talking That's about, right. Chris. Yeah. And it's, it's really nice. Yeah. I liked it. And I can't remember, I, I think uh, we skipped over part, like, even like even, oh, even before yeah. the interview, like, yep. as they're walking in, we get introduced to Blue, to Blue played by Michael Madsen. Michael, you gonna bark all day, uh, little dogging? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. You know, once I found out that Michael Madsen was gonna be in this episode, my ears started. <laughs> mm. Do you smell gasoline? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for those that may not be in the know, we're referencing um, Reservoir Dogs, um, and Michael Madsen is in that. Uh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first Sin City movie. Yes. Uh, for whatever reason, he was not brought back for Sin City 2. I think there was some drama over that. I can't remember what it was about. He's an uh, interesting fellow. Yes. So, uh, could have been uh, all sorts of things. Could have been, yeah, could have been some things, yeah. But he's, uh, but, but I will, you know, I'll give him this. I mean, he, he's done some really great... I was like, look at his IMDb know, page. Yeah. Like, he's a very prolific uh, person. We're talking about... Yeah, he's a Chicagoan, by the way. Oh, yeah. Did yeah, born and raised in Chicago, yeah. Illinois. Oh, wow. Uh, but we were talking off mic before we started recording. Uh, he was in a short-lived TV series. I'm the king of the short-lived TV series. <laughs> Basically, uh, if you're a TV producer out there, you don't want Dennis to watch your I show. I don't know if watch Dennis yeah. likes your show. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. I watched one episode of Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter and Kill John Rick. Oh, oh, no! Oh, anyway. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Michael Madsen, he was in a short-lived TV series from 1998 to 99 called Vengeance Unlimited, and he played Mr. Chapel. And basically, he was playing a TV version of his character from Reservoir Dogs, like the, like the, like that that like his dress, that mood. Uh, but the gimmick of the series was is that if you had been uh, wronged and the justice system failed you and you didn't get justice that way, he was a vigilante who would help you out. 
for either $1 million or a favor that he could redeem any time in the future in his pursuit of helping somebody else out. Uh, and by the time the, the, the story had started in the series, he had helped enough people that, one, he was very financially set. Enough people had paid him the million dollars that he had like unlimited resources as far as technology and everything goes. And he had just a seemingly endless amount of people who owed him favors. Sure. Oh. Uh, and so one of the running... Uh, it's very much like the equalizer. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the equalizer. And so, like, one of the, the running gimmicks of the show is that, because uh, he was just, like, a very scary person, and he did the, this really he did these really weird things, you know, in the interest of getting justice. So a running gimmick of the show is that he would call in a favor, and the person would be terrified. And after the person did the favor, there was always the exchange of him saying, we're even. I'm out of your life forever. And the other person going... Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. And it was Joe. I, I won't get get into it, but yeah, there were there were a couple of episodes where things happened where I'm surprised that was on ABC Prime Time because they pretty yeah. But anyway, so Michael Madsen is blue. Yeah, and again, you know, just talking about sometimes you know we mention people's careers and everything. I mean, yeah, Michael Madsen is a guy that has you know literally been around working in some capacity since his like you know early 20s and now is 61 years old and his IMDB page you know for instance is a mile long mm-hmm. he's got he's got like I mean damn near like 20 projects you know either in pre-production filming or post-production so you're going to see him or hear him because some of this is voiceover stuff you know anywhere everywhere um, uh, but definitely done some really you know great stuff sort of that uh, that classic kind of early 90s you know mobster you know, sort of neo-noir kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whether it's like Reservoir Dogs or Donnie Brasco. Uh, he, uh, the, so the original Steve McQueen film, The Getaway, is fantastic, damn near masterpiece. Everyone should go see it. The Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger remake is kind of terrible. Is the Alec Baldwin <laughs> remake? Yes. <laughs> but Michael Madsen plays uh, a fairly I mean if you're familiar with the original getaway like it's kind of iconic role and the, and, the, and honestly the remake is damn near shot for shot remake except for like a sex scene that they added in sure. which isn't even Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger it's just two body doubles so it's just kind of like alright yeah. but anyway um, uh, he's, he's great in it like he's really really good mm. in it uh, he's the best part of the movie uh, until they get to the end and then I think uh, Richard Farnsworth shows up as a truck driver who like mm-hmm. gives the two of them a ride and he's clearly afraid that he's gonna like get killed because he can tell like they've got guns they've got bags of money and you know gets in the car with him I'm gonna spoil the ending because you just shouldn't see the film but it's a classic moment because uh, he clearly thinks that he's gonna get killed and Alec Baldwin kind of looks at Kim Basinger and she kind of smiles and then turns and he looks at the guy and the next thing you see is the two of them driving off in the old man's truck and the old man's standing on the side of the road with like a pile of money in his hands (laughs) is is that I may be uh, mixing this up with another Kim Basinger movie is Rip Torn in this movie I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So yeah, Michael Madsen plays Blue, and uh, immediately Blue is is clearly the ringleader here, getting everybody to make fun of Jimmy, and you know throwing the R bomb around, calling him dummy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Ricky rhymes oh, with Ricardo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep, that's right. Oh, there was a chestnut. Anyway, um, 
So yeah, so clearly we, we get in the setup here that it's not going to be an easy work environment for him. As excited as Frank is, um, you know, it's interesting because we could certainly talk about, is, is Frank a little selfish here? Is Frank being selfish in a way? I mean, obviously we can sit here and we can say it's better for Jimmy to be out of the institution than in the institution, um, especially with some of the information we get later. Sure. But it does kind of make you you make you wonder is Frank being selfish, bringing his brother into this environment, bring you know what I mean, like getting him this job at this place, knowing all the stuff he's going to come up against, or is Frank just being extremely optimistic with like because he even says to Jimmy one point they just don't know you yet, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like he's hopeful too in the same way that Al is saying you know you need to make friends at the at work, I think that Frank is advocating for that as well. I think you can be both. Sure. I mean, I mean, one, it is very self-serving because he feels like he can accomplish something that their dad was not able to uh, accomplish, like the sense of pride, like I was able to do this. But also at the same time, like if you're going to get your brother out of the institution and put him to work, what better way to do it than having him work with you and you can keep an eye on him right. and be an advocate for him with your coworkers. No, that's very yeah, that's very true. Uh, but yeah, so we get this 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 first scene where where Sam is at work and he's pushing stuff around and Al shows up like here like that's what you're there to do like yeah. you're here to make friends. He, and he, there's this there's this, there's this interesting moment where he makes the comparison between what Jimmy's doing and what Jackie Robinson did. Mm-hmm. But there's also this kind of funny moment because Al brings up Jackie Robinson and Sam's like the singer, like thinking of Jackie Wilson because yeah. his Swiss cheese brain doesn't even remember Jackie Robinson. See, I thought he was thinking of Smokey Robinson. Oh, maybe. No, I think it was the... Well, it could be either way. Uh, yeah. I'm with Jackie Wilson. All the way around. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But the, the, it is also uh, interesting because, like, as, as he's going along, Sam is talking to Al, but Jimmy's also talking to himself. Yeah. And there's, and there's one extra... Yeah, yeah. There's one extra in the background who is acting. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, he, he looks at him once. Yeah. Turns around, starts walking away, and then looks again. And, and again. Yeah. I mean, that guy has a great look. Like to pick like the like the one extra oh, yeah. to like be the one to like kind of give that, insight that of like what everybody actually. else. Yeah. Everybody else is saying like, yeah, Jimmy's just talking to himself. Right. Right. There's also a great moment in the scene of, of where, where Sam's saying like me like integrating Jimmy like like this could take weeks, and Al going like what what. Like you're what going else? Somewhere. You're going somewhere. Yeah. What else are you doing? <laughs> right, right. Which is which is true. You know, you get the sense that um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting comment just on the series as a whole because you, you start to wonder. It's like a Sam now almost programmed in a way to get there, do the task, move on. You know, like he's not used to staying in one place for too long. Although you could argue that in Thou Shalt Not, between the final scene proper and then the actual final scene. Like when they're at the beach house, the end there, and then the the, the ending of the episode. Sure. That there's got to be some time between those. Sure. So it's so so it's interesting to think that like you know in some of these instances and kind of like what you're talking about with Disco Inferno, like he's probably been there for a little while between the accident on the set and when mm-hmm. he leaps out. So I don't know, but there is sort of is Sam starting to get like a workman like mentality of like leap in, do the job, leap out. And and so for him the the concept of having to stick around and really dig deep and like I don't know it's one of the things mm-hmm. that in the confines of the TV show you couldn't really explore as much but I think a couple of the novels definitely did where like he spent some 
high. Oh, absolutely. You know, like yeah. he's there for like months, yeah. which is something that we never see in the TV show. Yeah, maybe because of the constraints right. of, the, of the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so yeah, he says like this could take a long time, and that's when uh, I think it's Blue, Blue. who yeah, comes out. Yeah, and then like runs into the thing that that Sam is pushing, and he says a long, long time, and then we go into. Uh, Break. That's right. That's right. And then uh, we get this really sweet scene where they're having lunch, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam got an egg salad sandwich, and Frank got pickle loaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank does not want the pickle. Loaf. He is not. He's not happy. Yeah. And this is one of the. This is one of the the, the scenes that annoyed me with Frank. And it's one of the things I was talking with Betsy, my wife, as we were watching. Like, on one hand, it is annoying, but on the other hand, like it is like 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 true to life living with someone with disability like Frank wants him to be an adult but he also like treats him like a kid he keeps doing sure. things like through the scene like trying to distract him to steal his lunch yeah. stuff and it's Look like at the seals. it's like you're not giving him the respect that you want other people to give him yeah. by by doing these weird things well and I think probably for Frank that part of that might also just come from the fact that that's his brother and that whereas Frank you know and he were at one point in time, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old together, mm-hmm. that while Frank progressed past that point, that in Frank's eyes, you know, and, and certainly in a lot of other people's eyes, that Jimmy never did. So Frank probably just as his brother is just used to treating him like that 12-year-old kid. For sure. For the past, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, 15 years or so. Sure. Yeah. So that could be part of it. But I do get what you're saying, though. Yeah, there's... Yeah. yeah. But it, it's in this scene we get the, the information that... Uh, that that having to put Jimmy into Wayside, the the institution, was the hardest thing that his dad had ever done. Right. And like, you know, wish you could see him now. And you know, we're gonna be so around. Proud. Yeah. Uh, so they go to split the Twinkie. Uh, Sam goes to open the Twinkie and he knocks Frank's coffee uh, coffee thermos. Yeah, yeah, and and then you know he says that Connie gave it to him for Christmas. You could tell yeah. Frank's upset. Yeah. But then, you know, he just looks at me like, eh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Sure. And and Frank does that a lot. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder, it's like, that's not good for Frank. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're, if we're looking at this and thinking about Frank, like, it's not good for him to have to do that. Now, I understand why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I would rather him do that than, like, fly off the handle, like Connie and or something. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you got to think, it's like, man, you know, Frank is basically giving Jimmy a free pass on anything that might happen, any of these accidents that might happen, which again, well, I'm sure. certainly not criticizing him for it. I'm yeah. just saying that you gotta think about his well being, like there comes to a point where probably like Frank should, should be able to like kinda of stand up and be like, you know, it's okay. As opposed to I don't worry about it. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You know, he's just blowing for it sure. off like that. Yeah. Because he doesn't want Jimmy to feel bad. Yeah. I don't know. But it's not I mean it's not, I mean just like anybody can Right. You know Well can, clearly can do that. it's Sam yeah. that it did it. Yeah, and, and going back real quick, one thing that I, that I wanted to mention because I, I actually wondered as I was watching the episode, I was like, "God, was that an ad lib?" Because it was a really sweet moment. Uh, is that uh, so? Yeah, the sandwiches. Um, you know, Frank like tricks Sam and shares sure. a sandwich, switches sandwiches with him, and so and so Sam's like, oh, "I don't want to eat the pickle loaf," and so Jimmy's like, "All right, like we did when we were in school, you know, you split each yeah. take half," mm-hmm. and so and so all of a sudden when Sam's going to pick it up, he just says, "He just says, okay, but you take the dirty half." And it's because the way that it's said, and the way that like he picks it up off the, like the, the dock as opposed sure. to being on the wax paper or whatever, sure. it yeah. kind of made me wonder. It's like, what if that's yeah. in the script? Just like a just like a little moment, just slip in. Yeah, and it's great because you know the the uh, 
John Frank, he, he kind of takes it up and he's like, I'll take the dirty half, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's a nice little moment. Yeah. And then they go to split the Twinkie. And, yeah. And going back to, like, him knocking the uh, cup into the water, mm-hmm. if that was my brother, I would get mad, but then I would get mad and say, well, it's not really your fault. I shouldn't have had the cup on the <laughs> yeah. next to the dock. Yeah. So that's on me instead of saying, you know what, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's great that that's what Frank does. It just makes me wonder. It's like, is that is that healthy for Frank to keep kind of like, just, you, you know... It, to keep it in? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he doesn't for long. Well, that's I'm not saying give him a pass. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. You got to, part of this is your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, because almost immediately, um, you know, after this, we get uh, 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 the, the moment where Sam is worried about Connie accepting him or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and one of Frank's response is like, she just didn't grow up with somebody like you. Yeah. You know? And so I think, yeah, for Frank, he's just so conditioned to dealing, you know, being able to like, deal with Jimmy that when stuff like this happens it's probably the reason why he's just like it's fine for sure yeah I mean there's also a lot to be said is like you know growing up with Jimmy there probably were a lot of accidents where Jimmy accidentally broke stuff and like even though you understand like why it's happening it's like ah the thing gets broken again you know you know that built up frustration Right, and there's a really great moment that, that's coming a little bit later that we'll talk about, where Sam is is clearly dealing with it too, um, and 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 you know he's frustrated. But before that, uh, Sam goes back. He's working. Um, he's catching bags, and um, he he's doing you know exactly what he's supposed to be doing. But two of the guys decide to throw two bags down instead of one. Yeah. So naturally, one hits the floor, spills open, and everything, yeah. and they start giving him a hard time. Blue's giving him a hard time. And Sam's standing up for himself. Yeah. I mean, like, how was I supposed to catch two bags? Yeah. You know, he threw two. Um, and eventually it leads to uh, uh, Blue getting physical with him. And, um, you know, he's, he's pushing him. He slaps him. And mm-hmm. Sam's just Sam had enough. Sam yeah. a couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sam a couple just, of good punches. He, yeah, yeah, he does. one, too. He, yeah, it just unloads on him. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, Frank breaks it up. And, um, you know, then Blue is, is ready to... Yeah. I think, I mean, we, yeah, yeah, keep that dummy away yeah. from me, yeah. And then we get the, the clocking out scene. Um, yeah. Where, again, Sam is like, is like, I can do this myself. Because Jimmy, or, uh, Frank wants to do it for Jimmy. Sure. And, and Sam's like, I can do this. I can do it myself. Let me do it myself. And he messes it up. And it's yeah. just like, ah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, this is where we've hit the point where, like, yeah, everybody's looking at you, expecting you to screw up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is Frank, even though Frank has, like, just said, no, I'm going to do this, you know, okay, fine, fine, give it a try, and he screws it up, again, Frank is just like, don't worry about it, it's okay, I do it all the time, you mm-hmm. know, I, I mess mine up all the time, we'll get you a new one. Yeah. And then they, they take off, and you hear people, in, you know, in the background, like, oh, yeah, come on, day, 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 day. Yeah. yeah, extras are acting. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh... But the hits just keep on coming. Uncom- yeah, yeah. Because they get home, mm-hmm. and there's this really great scene. Connie's very happy for him. Like you get this, you get this nice little idyllic moment that you know for for a second. Sure. Corey wants to go play catch. Frank is is feeling a little randy, so he says, "Go play catch with Jimmy," and you know starts hitting on Connie. And we got some advantages. Uh, yeah. yeah, right, right. And she's supposed to be defrosting the, the roast, which is also this other moment where um, we get this sweet moment with Corey and, and Sam because Sam's like, "Can't you just microwave it?" It's like, oh yeah, what's a microwave? And Corey's like, oh mom, it's from yeah. Vader's Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah. 
I, I think it was yeah. I was watching that with Betsy, and Betsy was like, "Nice save, Corey." Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's, it's a really it's really sweet because it's because it also it reinforces who Corey is, mm-hmm. and Corey loves you know having Jimmy around. Yeah, because they they watch movies, they play games. He's you know he's the alien when Corey wants to be the space hero. You know, yeah. and then there's the one of the finest moments. In the history of the show that comes later, coming up, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, yeah we got uh, Betsy and I watch that. We got to laugh at the microwave, especially. Uh, have you guys seen American Hustle? Yeah, the, uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence calling it the science oven. Oh God, because it takes place in the seventies, yeah. like like just oh, or, yeah, when the microwaves are, are coming out. But she sets something on fire. I feel very conflicted about that. Film. And the science, you know what? I, I I saw it once. I had no preconceived notions about it going in. It, it was a perfectly good one-time movie. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, just I, I think that I think that it it, it, it would earn the, the the title of overrated for me because by the time I saw it, I heard so many people talking about how great it was, and I was just sort of like. I've seen Martin Scorsese films before. Yeah, and it's not Scorsese. It's David Russell. So it's sort of like, okay. Yeah. And some of the some of the performances are really good, but then some of them I'm just like, the fuck is Bradley Cooper doing? Sometimes? Yeah, you, you know, know uh, <laughs> we, we may get into this later with the with the other pop culture thing that comes up uh, in this episode that, that you just referenced. Yeah, I've realized in the last month there is a beauty in just being a casual fan. Oh, oh sure. Yes. Says totally. the co-host of the Quantum League podcast. Yeah, well, but there's well. a beauty of just being a casual fan because you don't have expectations. You don't have an ownership <laughs> oh. of the thing where you think you know what is supposed to happen. You can just show up and enjoy a piece of entertainment. I think it's one of the reasons why I, I, I appreciate and love, it's it so self-serving, my particular brand of fandom when it comes to Doctor Who. Because mm-hmm. I love Doctor Who, and I have loved Doctor Who for you know 25 years now um so i was like i became a fan during like the wilderness years when it wasn't on tv at all mm-hmm. the only thing you had were like novels that weren't even like the the audio plays that the big finish does or sure. anything like it was just you know and and when you're watching that show like the acting in some cases is is terrible not just not good but terrible <laughs> the sets you know you get the wobbly sets you get the mm-hmm. bad special effects you know the whole nine yards but you just start to appreciate it and you enjoy it I, for reasons that I can't even fully define. And then when the new show came on, because in some ways, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that don't agree with this, and then there are some people that hate the old series, it exceeded all expectations because it, in some ways the bar was set fairly low, when it mm-hmm. came, especially when it came to like visual effects and sure. that sort of stuff. So it's just I, I just, I love being a fan of it because I can watch the new series and appreciate it in a completely different way than when I watch the old series and appreciate it and enjoy it. You know, um, and I think that yeah, that there's that there's some. It's hard nowadays, especially with, and I know we're going to talk about it later, a particular franchise in general, mm-hmm. because we're getting so much of it now, and the comparisons are you're never going to not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they're home. They mm-hmm. go out to play catch. Connie's going to start defrosting. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let's go back oh, uh, to my favorite phrase uh, of the entire episode when. Connie is yeah. his wife yeah. and she's like I have to make the roast and he's like 
It takes thirty. Uh, it takes an, an hour, hour to, to defrost. Uh, yeah. What are we gonna do in an hour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tying the apron. Tying the apron strings around him, like uh, like that are around her, like around his own waist, so they're like tied together. Yeah. I think that's another reason he loves his brother Jimmy because his brother Jimmy keeps his kid occupied while he can get busy with his wife. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, To your note, what you were saying earlier about Connie, where they could have made her a very one-dimensional character, yeah, and she could have just been just very unpleasant in the scene and blew him off. Like, no, like she's she's stressed out. Yeah, she's stressed out about about having Jimmy living there. But also, yeah, she's kind of on board with this sending the kids out to play for an hour uh, so they can get it on. And she, so, yeah. even, and she even, like, she even, you know, she jokes with Jimmy about the microwave thing afterwards, and she's like, well, says, I don't have a science fiction microwave. So you do, you get the sense where it's like, I don't doubt that, you know, prior to the episode, prior to Jimmy being brought in, that there were many conversations that took place between Connie and Frank that were just sort of like, honey, it's going to be okay. I don't know. I yeah. mean, of course, he's your brother. He's family. I get it. But so you get these, you get the real sense from her that while she is having some frustrations, some irritations over it, but yeah, she's, she's a good person too, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank's not going to marry a shrew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but but in all seriousness, I, I, it's a great scene. It's it's a nice little scene, and while and while Frank and Connie are hoping to to, to have a little together time, yeah, uh, I was praying for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam and Corey are having fun playing catch uh, football. But yeah, then, yeah, yeah, football. But then, uh, yeah, they have a nice little moment where where Sam introduces Corey to the idea of the high five. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. Sam sets up a play, you know, mm-hmm. go to the trash cans, cut left, and go long. Yeah. And so he goes out, he's like, go long, go long, go long. And Sam launches the ball, mm-hmm. and it's it's too high, goes too far for Corey, lands over in the neighbor's yard. Mm-hmm. Which also makes me wonder, how big is is Frank's front lawn? Like, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. but I digress. Uh, yeah. But so he goes over, and the kid... That the, the, the he was out front, who's launched sure. into immediately starts giving him a hard time. Yeah, you know, it's like if you, you play, play with, with dummies, a dummy, you, get, you turn into a dummy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna give you your ball back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Corey stands up for Jimmy. They get into a fight. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam comes over, pulls the kid off of Corey. And that's when the mom comes. Mom out. comes out, starts beating him in the back of the head with a yeah. broom. You get monster, you monster, yeah. you yeah. And it's just so ah uh, ah uh, yeah. Uh, and it, 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 the entire point of the scene is it sets up like uh, yet another obstacle that they have to overcome, not just at work, but just in general with the neighborhood, with people. I just and, thought of something. That was immediately before Frank and his wife was going to get it on, weren't they? So when he ran out there, he was still... You know, I, I you know, when I was watching that scene. I was like, it been a while since I've seen this episode. Like, what state of undress are they going to be running out? Of? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, they were dressed. They were, yeah. yeah. So they were, but they were interrupted. Yeah, oh. I know it's the worst. Yeah, no, no good. But but they come out, and mm-hmm. and this is unfortunately this gives Connie. Some more ammunition, frankly. Yeah. And 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 she's very upset, and and she you know kind of lets Frank have it, and this is where she talks about you know having another child in the house and having yeah. to watch him every second, and all this sort of stuff. And Frank is just sort of, and and justifiably so. Frank is like he didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't hit that kid. He didn't. Yeah. It's not his fault that Corey got into the fight with the kid. Like I mean, 
maybe you can spin it that way, but ultimately, like, Corey's just standing up for his uncle. Yeah. You know, so, but anyway, uh, uh, Connie's pretty pissed, and, you know, she kind of lets him have it. Uh, and at this point, you can tell it's starting to get to Frank, too, and we get that even more in the next scene when they're washing the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, Sam's scrubbing the car, and, and, and you know, Frank's like, oh, you're scratching the car, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then he grabs the hose, and he accidentally sprays Frank. Right with and, it, yeah. And finally, Frank's just like, just go inside. Yeah. You know, I'll do this. Well, yeah. And it's just kind of like, ah, oh, man. Yeah. That and sucks. It, yeah. And there's also, uh, we get a nice reflection shot in the, in the, in the hub. Yeah. The tire oh, yeah. hub. The tire. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, because, uh, was called out and like caught in a previous episode. Like sometimes you can see Scott Bakula stepping out of the way, and it was like one of those things. Like he's walking down the truck, and you can kind of see a moment, like just before the camera turns away from him, Scott Bakula is stepping out of the way, yeah. so the actor playing Jimmy can step into the shot and be the reflection and the can get in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, what kind of car was that, by the way? Uh, it's like a Ford Chevrolet. Is it a Chevy? It was, yeah. it was an old truck. Mm-hmm. Um, Appropriate for the time, though, right? Or was it an older truck? I think it might have been a little bit older even for that time, honestly. Sure. Sometimes IMDb tells us on the trivia page, but unfortunately I'm not I'm not seeing it today. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Although I am finding out that the poster in Corey's room of the Mighty Thor was apparently released in the late 1980s. Oh! Well, you know. Yeah. Oops. Oh, well. Oops. Um... <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Uh, so so yeah, we have this you know the, the scene with the with the truck, and this is like when I was watching with Betsy, like I just made some comment about like 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 damn it, Frank, you're you're treating him just as bad as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Just you know, he just made a simple mistake, whatever, um, uh, and not getting too much into it. But uh, Betsy does have a, a family member who does have like some physical and mental disabilities. Uh, so she has experience with that, and so when I made that comment, Betsy was like, you know, like, growing up with someone with, with disabilities is hard, and sometimes, you sure. know, yeah, right. sometimes you vent your frustration when, even though you know you shouldn't, uh, it, it definitely comes out sometimes. Yeah, well, and, and this is when we get, um, it's really been building, obviously, for, sure. for a while. But we get the build with, with Frank, and Frank kind of dismissing Jimmy back yeah. into the house. Sam decides to help set the table um, mm-hmm. for the pot roast. And even the way that Sam grabs the plates, no one else is around. Yeah. The camera's just on him. The way that he grabs the plates, and like you can tell at this point, even Sam is like, I cannot screw up again. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot screw up again. And Al's standing there when he turns around, sure. and, you know, and Sam's like, don't, you know, don't do that to me. I'm yeah. the plates. And they start the conversation, and he goes to grab uh, a platter, and he yeah. grabs a platter, and he's literally has just talked about screwing up and feeling like he's getting everything wrong and all this sort of stuff. And as soon as he grabs the platter, the door opens, bumps into him. Of course, he drops the platter; it shatters. Yeah, Connie's like, "That's my grandmother's platter." platter. Yeah, I'm sorry. And the thing is, is at this point, Sam has said, "I'm sorry" so many times. Yeah, that this time it's just the way he says it and the way you know it's clearly this is all really having an effect on him yeah to the point where he's starting to doubt whether or not he can yeah do the mission mm-hmm. I actually don't understand why Connie got upset at uh, 
Jimmy for that because that was her fault. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. on her. Yeah, yeah. Is, I agree. I, well, I mean, I think at this point that the you know, and, you know, at that point, like, everything's building up. You're going to find anything you can. It becomes right. self-fulfilling prophecy. If he put his peas on his fork the wrong way, she would, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So Al storms outside, or, or Sam storms outside. Al follows him, and this is when we get. Yeah, we uh, definitely get kind of like the emotional climax for, for Al, and we start to really mm-hmm. understand why Al's been doing all this because we get the information that um, he knew a girl when he was growing up named Trudy, mm-hmm. and then she was uh, mentally handicapped, and that um, you know she got put into an institution, mm-hmm. and he sets it all up like this. And then he tells us that it was his sister. Yeah. That you know his 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 father had been a construction worker and moved around a lot, so they had mm-hmm. to put her into an institution eventually. And then he had to go into the orphanage because his dad got a job in the Middle East. Yeah. And so Al was in the orphanage. Trudy's in the institution. Al works hard to get out of the orphanage. As soon as he's out of the orphanage, he goes to get Trudy, and Trudy has died. Yeah. Of pneumonia. And Stockwell has a wonderful moment mm-hmm. where he you know. Doesn't break down, but he almost does, and he sure. holds it in. Yeah. It's just—it's really powerful. It's really nice, and and he gets very upset, and he says, you know, how does a sixteen-year-old girl die of pneumonia in 1953? Yeah, um, and so and so now we know why the stakes are so high for Al. Mm-hmm. Why Al is like, you have to do this. Yeah, like you you have to make sure that this doesn't happen. To yeah, we're not. We lost Trudy. We're not going to lose Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the first time in the series where Dean Stockwell gets. Something with a lot of dramatic stakes yeah. to it. Uh, there will be a really emotional episode coming up later on, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would almost argue that you do get you do get a hint of this in the sense of in Honeymoon Express, though. A Honeymoon Express, yes. there's mm-hmm. a couple of yeah. moments there where he's definitely, you yeah. Know, but but this is certainly the most that we get until so far. Yeah, until the episode. Uh, until the, uh, yeah, the episode comes. Uh, but yeah, so we get the stakes, and yep. now we are in bed with Corey. Uh, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. how and can so, I? Yeah. So Sam also a really cute thing that gets set up at the very beginning that now we see again is Sam's wearing these slippers, these these uh, moose head. Oh, mm-hmm. the bowl with bowl slippers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I think are cute, and you know he takes them off, pops into bed, and he's he's got bunk beds with. Corey, mm-hmm. which is which is also kind of cute. So Corey comes down, jumps into bed with him. They turn the flashlight on. They start to read a, like a horror comic book. And Sam's like, "You really want to read this?" Yeah. Like, and Corey's kind of like, eh, you know. Yeah. He's like, "Let me tell you a story." Yeah. And so Corey's like, "All right, well, let's see what you got." So there's a little bit of a pause, and all of a sudden Sam says, "A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away." Is the time of rebellion? Yeah, it's just yeah. Like, oh my God, he's doing Star Wars. There like he's, he's yes. quoting the opening crawl. He is, and the music. I don't think it's quite the opening theme, no. but as close as they yeah, could yeah. get without getting sued. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Without a lawsuit, you know. Yeah. Um, Those words trigger that thing in my head automatically. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's great, and it's and it's something that you know, I mean, sticks yeah. with you. I mean, here I have twenty eight years on from the episode, and I remember that clear as day mm-hmm. uh, from the first time I saw it. So. Yeah, this is the uh, back to casual fandom. Uh, when I first saw this episode as a kid, I had no clue because I didn't see any of the Star Wars until like I was in high school. Oh wow! I was I was late to the party on that, and I think a lot of it was because like it had been built up so much that when I saw clips of it on TV, I'd watch it for a few minutes and I'd be like, "This this is it? Like this is what people are up? You know?" And, like, so I have I have I have a couple of interesting Star Wars stories about how I came to it. So mm-hmm. the first time that I ever saw anything Star Wars was actually one of the uh, Ewok movies, oh. Battle for Endor. Okay, um, it's 
not great, but whatever. And then there was a cartoon called Droids, which had C-3PO and R2-D2 in it. And so I'd seen those. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But I was also at the right age that there were still, like, some Return of the Jedi toys, like, on the shelf. Like, sure. like, warmly walk in and buy them for, like, 50 cents or something like that. Uh, so I had some Star Wars toys, and uh, but I'd not actually seen the movie. And when I was about five years old, I caught the tail end of A New Hope. But because I'd never seen any of the movies before... I thought when they destroyed the Death Star in A New Hope that that was like the end. So I had it in my mind that I had seen the last few minutes of like Return of the Jedi. Like I saw the last few minutes of like the series. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was another year or two, I think, before uh, a friend uh, of my mom's gave me a videotape with all three movies on the one nice. tape. Mm. Because she'd, like, tape them off of Showtime or something. In fact, I can even remember the Showtime logo in the corner. And so this tape was, like, gold to me, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I remember putting it in the VCR for the first time and watching all three back to back to back in one day. That's awesome. I was, like, yeah, I was, like, six years old, six or seven years old, and, I mean... You were set. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, to me, like, yeah, I only saw clips of the movies until it was announced that the prequels were going to be coming out. Okay. And that's when they released the original movies, oh, like all of these, like, special special edition VHS yeah, right. tapes, where the extras were always, like, after the yep. after the movie. And so it was, like, Sometimes the tail end of high school, first of college, is when I... Oh. actually saw the Star Wars movies all the way through for the first time. So my grandfather bought me a box set of the tapes. Uh, this would have been like 95, 96, when they had just announced, I think, maybe 97, somewhere around there. They had just announced that they were going to do the prequels, but they hadn't actually started doing anything on it. And each of the tapes had Leonard Malton interviewing George Lucas briefly before the film started. And I remember in the last one, he started talking about the prequels, and he's like, these are the movies I'm writing now, and you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, those tapes were the last time that the original trilogy was released unaltered in any form up until about a year or two ago. So I was able... I was able to sell this box set of video cassettes for like $75 yeah. in like 2005. Yes. Somebody bought video cassettes in 2005 at a premium price because it was the only one getting unaltered film. You know, now that I think about it, yeah, I just, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I, I totally forgot that they went back and they redid the special effects on the first yeah. one. Yeah, the videotapes I got were... And they even advertised. I remember they even advertised the box set before it went out of print. They even, it, you could see it on sure. TV. There'd be ads for it and say, own the original trilogy for yes. the last time. Time, yeah. yeah. I hate to see, be this guy, but I would have been the guy that paid seven. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but now I do have, the, later on, Like I have a DVD set that it's it's each one of the original trilogy. Yes. Special edition and the original. Right, yeah. Yep. The thing that sucks about that, and this is not a Star Wars podcast, but the thing that sucks about that is unfortunately they haven't been remastered in any way. So you're getting, like, the quality of them, even if you've got, like, the Blu-ray box set or whatever, the quality on the originals, the unaltered originals, is I mean, I won't say it's terrible, but it's almost terrible compared to what any other movie looks like because Lucasfilm, because Lucas for the longest time disowned them. He's like, those yeah. aren't my movies. The, the, those the, my the special yeah. editions are the movies. So, yeah. so, like, yeah, you can't get like remastered like high definition quality of the original unaltered trilogy now mm. actually that might not be true anymore they might have done they might have fixed that last year so think, Disney when Disney bought the franchise I think they might have fixed it sure I can't I don't, I anyway. don't you know what else they haven't remastered what's that holiday special well <laughs> I can't even believe you brought I'm just, that up. I'm just saying you know 
Nothing, nothing goes with uh, Christmas turkey like a lightsaber. Uh, anyway, <sighs> so so he tells Corey the Star Wars story. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then the next day, uh, Sam's doing a good job. You yeah, know, he's doing Charlie's great. Really he's really happy with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we have this moment where. Uh, uh, Blue comes in, starts picking on him. Mr. Samuel comes in, says, hey, pull this crate. And he identifies it with a number. He's like, pull crate 1675. 1675, yeah. And so you, you can tell by the close-up they do on, on Michael Madsen that, that Blue is having some trouble figuring it out. He pulls the wrong one. Sam tries to to help him. to do him a solid. Yeah. You know, I was watching it this time, and it's was like, you know, if I was Sam, I'd be like, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm just gonna let him do this up on his own. Yeah, Sam's doing him a solid by by stepping in and and trying to correct him. And yeah, it turns out that the blue had pulled seventy five sixteen, right, instead of sixteen seventy five. What kind of system you have set up where those two number crates are sitting relatively close to each other? Hey, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I? Who am I to judge the Oakland Dock Workers Association? Uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, so blue pulled the wrong crate, and so Mr. Samuels just said, "Hey." Uh, you know, just 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 read the numbers. Yeah. Well, and he, you know, and he ends up saying that he's like, oh, I thought you pointed at the, the at this crate. Yeah. He's like, just read the numbers, and you know, and then of course, you know, Blue is is, is clearly a little little miffed by all this. Sam is 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 mopping the floors, and uh, later, and this is where he has like the voiceover, like, hey, I think I'm turning this around, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Blue comes screaming down the way in the forklift. And spins out and yeah. smashes into, you know, everything turns out to be fine. There's solvent on the floor. It's been left, the tap's been left on. Yeah. Uh, of course, they blame Jimmy for sure. it. Uh, Charlie's like, I gotta let you go. Frank's yeah. like, if you let him go. Well, like, Blue leads the charge. Right, I mean, he says, like, yeah, like, I won't work it's here like, yeah, anymore. I will work here, get this dummy out of here. And so, Mr. Samuel's hand is kind of forced. Yeah. And, 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 um, and like I said, you know, Frank is, is trying to stand up for him and say, like, hey, if you if you fire him, you're firing me, too. And, and, and eventually, you know, that's what Charlie's like. If you got to go, you got to go. Yeah. So they leave. And, and you know, Frank is, is handling it all pretty well. I think part of that probably just has to do with the fact that it, he's he sacrificed his own job out of the love mm-hmm. for his brother. Um, yeah. So yeah, so we have this scene where actually they're walking to the truck and Frank kind of blows up. Where Sam's trying to tell him like, no, like I didn't turn on the spigot. Like I had to right. turn it off. And like Frank flat out says, you you don't know which way you turn it. You don't know nothing. Right. And he gets mad at him, and he's yeah, and and, and he says that he can't watch him all the time. Um, when they get home, of course, you know Frank breaks the news to Connie. He's like, you know, it's gonna be okay. I'll get another job. I'll, you know, and, and and she's like, what happens when Jimmy messes that job up too? And yeah, and how long it's gonna take for you to get in good with that job before you can get Jimmy an interview? And and, and things are looking pretty grim here. Yeah, you know, like it's starting to look like Jimmy's, you know, yeah, yeah, that that, that Jimmy's not gonna make it. And Sam is is feeling pretty bummed out about all of this. He's helped yeah. Corey fix his bike though. Yeah. Corey goes off riding his bike. Um, and so that's when uh, Frank comes out and, and breaks the news like, you know, it's going to take a while before I can get a good job. I have to send you back to the institution while that happens. And Al drops the information that if you go back in, you'll never come out. Jimmy never gets out. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So, so they hug and, and Sam says, Sam okay. And I was like, oh, okay, out. okay, okay. Uh, Frank walks away. And that's when it's revealed that Sam took the Sam opportunity to hug him to, to lift his keys. Yoink. Sam Beckett, quantum physicist, medical doctor, 
pickpocket. pickpocket. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he hops in the truck and tears off, and uh, and they're like, you can't. He doesn't know how to drive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, Corey tells him you know where he went. Corey takes off on his bike, bike after yeah. him. Yeah, he's going uh, to get his job back. Yeah, he's going to get his job back. Uncle Jimmy's going to get his job. Um, back. And and so obviously everybody's going back down to the docks, and and Sam gets there and he's trying to convince. Charlie to rehire him. Corey's climbed up on some crates to watch the whole thing. Um, yeah. And so this is where, I mean, Sam shows up and, like, explains to Dr. Samuels that Blue is dyslexic. Is he a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> you just said Dr. Samuels for the... Did I say that? Oh, yeah. Dr. Sam. Oh, is that Sam? Dr. Sam. I know, I Dr. Know. Sam. I think it's funny because now all of a sudden, like, the, the guy who runs the docks is a doctor. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know. It's possible. He's a doc. Do- doc. Ah. <laughs> I see what you did. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just gonna throw this out here real quick. So uh, I found out I'm gonna be a dad. So I'm just trying to work on all the dad joke material on the hey, show. Hey, so for the next few months, you're just gonna have to deal with it. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so so Blue, of course, denies that he left the spigot on. You know, Sam's trying to you know convince him, and that's when Sam's like, he's mad because I found out a secret. Yeah, and you know, Blue's like, and Blue reacts in such a way him. that Mr. Samuels is like, oh. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And uh, and that's where he turns around and says, "Yeah, you and Frank are welcome to come back and yeah, work." Yeah, and and of course, you know, uh, uh, Blue's pretty pissed about all this because he's been fired in essence because the dyslexia. And the thing is, is Sam does it in a very sensitive way. Like Sam's like he's dyslexic. You know, and Blue's like, "What'd you call me?" And you know, sure. And 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 Sam is like, "No, it's you know, it's common. It's okay. It's treatable. You know, it's, it's words and numbers and everything. You're all jumbled to you." And, um, and it's at this point in the episode where Sam, who has been fitting in as Jimmy, now starts to do things that Jimmy would not be able to do. Probably. For sure, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, yeah, so he, he gets his job, gets his and Frank's job back. Charlie's really proud of him, actually. Um, they turn the corner. Blue comes careening down at them in the forklift. Sure. And Al is like, you know, yeah. Sam, watch so, out. So, so, so this, I mean, yeah, uh... During all of this, we have seen that. I, mean, I think you mentioned like Corey has crawled up on yeah. top of uh, some some crates or some boxes to to get a bird's right eye view of this. Edge. Right at the edge, right yeah. at the edge, yeah, right at the edge of the dock. Um, and yeah, so so Al is uh, just. You know, oh, it's amazing that that Sam could figure out that he was. He, he can't pronounce the word dyslexic, which. Oh yeah, yeah. I that, that was weird. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, that weird moment of like, does Al not know what dyslexia is? Right. Yeah. Anyway, it kind of struck me as kind of weird, but you know, it's one of those comedic moments right. that they do. Uh, uh, Sam so goes through Al, yeah. pushes him out of the way. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was also, I mean, it was just like uh, you know, because we're getting to the end of the episode, we've got to wrap stuff up. There was a weird shot, like they hadn't really established that that Frank and Connie had gotten to the dock. Yeah. So there was like one weird, like really quick shot shoehorned in just to establish that Frank and Connie were there. Yeah. Just in time to see. Right. Corey get knocked. Corey the water. goes. Yeah. Corey goes off into the water. Um, and. Uh, yeah. And this is the moment that I misremembered. I I remembered it, it was Sam jumping Diving into the in. water yeah. to save him, and then Frank jumped in. I was like, "Oh yeah, that, yeah, right." And so yeah, Frank he dives in, can't find him, goes back down, comes back up, still can't find him. Connie's screaming, she's losing it. Sure, finally goes in, gets him, finds him. Uh, here's something that I had misremembered, or, or wasn't did not even misremember, just didn't know at all. Uh, the whole time when you hear somebody like giving instructions, it's Sam. 
Like for some reason in my brain, like I, I did, I did not connect. But all that tie the rope around him, pull it up. It is Sam's right. the one giving directions. Oh. Sam's the one at the very front pulling the rope up. Like yeah. Sam's really kind of leading the charge here with all the other guys. They get Corey up. He's not breathing, uh, and 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 Sam was like, "You gotta let me, you gotta let me do this." And of yeah. course, you know, Connie's like, "Get away from my child!" And like carries him over, uh, and and finally, like Sam's like, "You know, no, you got to let me do this." Finally, she relents. He starts doing uh, mouth. Where he to says, mouth. "Yeah, they taught it to me at the institution." It's his way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so he does the mouth to mouth. It's not working. Al's like, "Try CPR." He starts doing that. At one point, like he pounds on his chest, and of course, sure. Connie freaks out. You know, he's he's hurting him, or you know. <laughs> Um, but uh, then Sam has this great line as he's working on him and he's not yet back. And he goes, if you die, you'll never see Star Wars. Yeah. Pop, Pop! The water yes. comes out. Yeah. It's like, that was what it took to bring uh, Corey To back. bring it around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then Corey's by and you know, mm-hmm. obviously Connie is, you know, so thankful and, you know, everybody, everybody at the docks, you know, is, are patting him on the back, congratulating Jimmy and, um, and Sam's like, you know. Or Al's like you did it, you know. Yeah. You, you did well, it. I love like like Sam has the line. It's like, oh, so I, was I here to save Corey? And Al goes like, no, like you were here to get him integrated, to get Jimmy integrated. But Corey was just like an extra bonus. Yeah. And it was, the wording struck me weird, right? In that. Well, and I guess if you think about it, that in the original timeline, if you will, like Corey never would have been at the docks, most likely because. Jimmy never would have gone back to try to get his job. Sure. Back. Yeah. So in in a way, Sam is the reason why Corey ended up getting there. So he's the reason why he almost drowned. So I think that it, you know, if if Al would have pulled Ziggy out and been like, you know, here's what happened in the original timeline, I, I doubt that Corey ever would have even been no in no no peril for sure. Yeah. Here's a here's a question that bothered me about the episode. Like when all of that was going down, where was Blue? <laughs> you know that was it. Yeah, the la- I mean, he he had served his purpose, and, right. and he was he was done. So being let out of handcuffs, having, he was yeah. having a bad day too because not only did his secret get revealed, he lost his job, right. and I'm pretty sure he's going to be convicted of attempted murder on two counts. Yeah, well, in addition to that, he probably pushed you know a few thousand dollars worth of. Goods into the ocean when he crashed into the crates. So, yeah. Blue's having a bad day. He's, yeah. And all he had to say was, you know what? I am dyslexic. Great. I should go get help. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do have a little trouble reading. That would have made it the very special episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, right. And then Jimmy, and then the last scene is actually Jimmy and Blue, like, learning to read together. (laughs) Yeah. That, yeah. That you know, like watching this episode, or Jimmy teaching Blue to <laughs> read. Oh, uh, you know, watching this episode, like Blue reminded me, uh, I had uh, this person in my life when I was a kid that was alternately my bully and my friend, and mm. it was just whatever day that I caught him on, and I totally forgot this until I was rewatching this episode. But uh, I don't, I, I don't know about grade school, but I think like starting in middle school on, he was in special ed. Mm. Uh, so he had some kind of learning disabilities. It wasn't like yeah. Down syndrome, or just like like by the appearance of the face, where it was evident. Right. But he did some have some kind of learning disabilities. Uh, that that he was in a that he was in a like the the special ed department, separate from us. But uh, yeah, there was a moment when I was a kid. I won't like dive into it, but I, I just saw the way that his dad. 
treated him. Mm. And like later on, like like realizing that he did have learning disabilities. That even when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's why you're a bully. Yeah. Like yeah. that's why. I mean, it's yeah. Damn. I mean, you're you're a pain in my ass because I'm the one that you're bullying. Right. But, but like, yeah, this is this is why who you are. Yeah. It's a, well, it's like the, it's like that is that episode. It's funny. I thought about how I met your mother like three or four times during this episode, but, uh, it's like that episode of how I met your mother or it's like the, the chain of screaming where it's basically like the boss screams at you. Then you scream at the person who works yep. for you. Then they scream at the, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. And I know that, um, it's so hard when you are, when you're in that situation, when you're being bullied, um, but it's actually something that I've thought about quite a few times, uh, over the you know past 10 years or so about people that bullied me when I was in junior high school in particular, and just kind of looking back and thinking about, you know, where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. And at the time, not having the sensitivity or the awareness to think about that really, and to just instead be pissed off because somebody was bullying me, you know, mm-hmm. and not knowing what to do about it. And, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of like, um, yeah. yeah, if we just would have sat down and had a conversation. Station, yeah. yeah. I mean, I went back when I look at like like uh, like all of the bullies because I, I was yeah, an unpopular kid, picked on a lot. Like when I look at the bullies and you and me both, buddy. yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and see and, and see where they wound up. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I can, yeah, I can kind of see. Uh, but the epilogue of that story is I went to my twenty year class reunion a couple of months ago, and you know, I hung out with this. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine will be mine will be coming up in the year. I don't know if I'm going to go or not, or you know, it's. A, I'm, I'm so far removed now from that place and those people that, sure. to be honest, I'm friends with a couple of them on Facebook. But it's like I almost wonder if if I would be contactable. You know what I mean? Like if they would like if, when they put that sort of thing together. You know, it's yeah. Like, you, you know what's funny? How how our reunion came together is that uh, one of my friends, like he just he just posted some memory. He posted something on Facebook, just basically saying, "Hey, I miss you guys. I'm you know I'm, I'm glad that we all went to school together. I'm glad we knew other." And a bunch of classmates jumped in and you know commented, and I commented, "This probably counts as our twenty year reunion, doesn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think like that that actually spurred like a couple of people who still live in our yeah, hometown. Yeah. Like they they organized the thing. Let's do it. Uh, and they did it, and it was like a really low key thing. It was one of those things like I I wasn't going to go back, but one of my friends made such a big deal out about sure. it. Sure. And I realized like if uh, like if I don't go, like his feelings are going to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went. It, it was like a really low key thing. Sure. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm very glad yeah. that I went. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I'm going to be in, in Charlotte, because uh, I went to high school in this uh, town called Gastonia, which is right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm going to be down there in a couple of weeks for work. Uh, I'll be there for, like, five days, and I haven't even really reached out to anyone yet or anything like that, but I probably should. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll have enough time. You know, for sure. Like, I like, mean, it was, it was kind of hard for me to go back, because my hometown is one of those towns that ever since Trump got elected, yeah. it has let its racist freak flag Woo! Why? Uh, Yikes! Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you know it'll be interesting because I haven't been I haven't been down there in, in quite a while, and uh, you know when I when I lived there, the bulk of the time that I lived there, Clinton was president. Everybody was happy. Everybody had a boat. Everybody had two cars in their garage. Nobody was bitching about yeah. politics in the same way. There was definitely some racism. You know what I mean? I mean, you go sure. to the flea market, and there'd be that one guy at the flea market selling. You know, KKK pamphlets and, oh, you know. <laughs> he sold the pamphlets? With, like, well, he sold? 
Anyway. He was, he was an entrepreneur. Um, but, but yeah, I, so it'll be interesting now to go back there. Because the last time I was in North Carolina, actually, uh, it was, you know, it was before the election, but there was definitely uh, reading the newspaper and reading about who was, like, being considered for governor or whatever. But they do, I think they have a Democrat governor now. Or the city has a Democrat mayor or something. I, I can't remember. One of the two. Anyway, I was very surprised by that. But I remember being down there because uh, that's where Jess's mom's family's from and yeah. reading the paper. And I'm, like, reading the paper and I'm just sort of like... What the fuck? Is that? Uh, yeah. Wait, <laughs> one last note I'll make about my hometown and newspaper, and then we should probably start wrapping this up. Sure. Uh, yeah. But when Obama got elected the first time, the headline of my hometown newspaper oh, was "Illinoisan ascends to presidency." <sighs> wow. Couldn't even say his name. Huh? Didn't want to say his name. Didn't want to acknowledge the fact that he was black. Illinoisan ascends the presidency. And of course, that had to be the headline, but they made the headline story as small as possible. And the primary story on page one that day was there was a, uh, there was going to be a meeting of the city council where they were going to talk about whether or not it was legal to drive golf carts down the street of town. You fucking kidding wow. me. No, I am not. I, you know, For a while I had it saved and then I threw it out. I'm oh. surprised they didn't just go and, and, and say John McCain does not win presidency. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, like, they would. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, this, this, this is what I'm going to say. Like, I grew up in White County, Illinois, yeah. and they like gave it that way. Uh, anyway, we should uh, probably bring it around to the So, uh, Jimmy, yeah. So, so uh, I, I forgot, like, how quickly this episode wraps yeah. up. Like, boom, 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 boom. And Absolutely. we're out of here. Uh, in fact, I would venture to say, and I think that there are a few episodes in the series that are like this, I don't know if it could have sustained itself as a two-parter, but I wouldn't have minded 10, 15 more minutes more, you know, a couple more scenes, a couple, like, I could have seen this being, like, an extended episode, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if this was, if this was in, the show was being made today, you go onto Netflix and sometimes you see, oh, that episode's 47 minutes, oh, that episode's 55 minutes, like, this could have been a 55 minute yeah, episode. Yeah, they could have been a little bit longer. yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, and I would have been fine with it. For sure. Now, now to be c- kind of somewhat cynical, like we get to the end, and Jimmy gets everyone to accept him by saving, by, by saving Corey's life. And just because, you know, it's just after the holidays, and we, we watched it recently, watching this with Betsy the other day, and I'm like, this is the mentally handicapped Rudolph the red Nose right Oh, shit. This is... <laughs> This wow. is, he's not accepted until he does something, not just for being a human being, but he has to do something incredibly useful before he's accepted. Yeah. Damn, you can't get accepted unless you save a fucking life? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, be I know that that is a very cynical view, but... No, but I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And it is true, I mean, let's face it. They, while I will argue that it's nice that he gets... I mean, again, it's difficult because he gets Charlie to accept him, you know, the boss sure. to accept him by pointing out, you know, what really happened with Blue. Um, but yeah, it takes it takes saving Corey's life. And they do that because, else. like, it's, it's an Even hour. Connie to accept yeah. him. Yeah, it's it's an hour of television. You, you got to have kind of like the uh, right the, the the semi the pseudo action set piece. There you go. Well, and that's one of the things about Thou Shalt Not that I actually love. The finish of Thou Shalt Not, I think... Is it, not that. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely... It's an hour of television. you got to end the show. 
but there's something else there that I that I really appreciate, and I and I like the fact that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like these people are completely healed and everything's okay. It feels like they're on the road to that, and mm-hmm. I really fucking appreciate that. Uh, yeah, like it's good writing, it's good writing, it's good acting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other thing. It would be very easy for you know for those actors to probably just be like, oh, everything's great again. And yeah. Instead, it's you know there's there's more weight to it. I think that's great. Yeah. But yeah, I, overall, I mean, Jimmy's a great episode. It's mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know if it's going to make people's top ten lists when it comes to Quantum Leap. Uh, I think it can. I think it could. I wouldn't argue if it's on people's top ten lists. Um, but it's 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 a great episode. I think. I mean, if they made a list of like uh, like like the ten most iconic episodes of the series, I'm sure like this one would fall. Yeah. Well, because on. again, it's another one that gets used in the in the opening credits a lot, like Sam in the. Um, the football scene, I think. Yeah. The, I thought it was Sam in the pajamas at the beginning. No, uh, the one that, that that shows up a lot during the saga cell when we finally get to the saga cell is like him hunched over with Corey, like telling him like, "Hey, you're gonna run down, go to the trash can, uh, or whatever." Like it's okay. that. Yeah, it's like just the, stuck. I guess maybe it's just the image of him in the pajamas is stuck in my brain. But it's, a, it's a very yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, it's a great episode. I, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, it, it. It's really like between this block and, and Thou Shalt Not, which we're both recording on the same day. Like, I remember being kind of like Thou Shalt Not being like, eh, and Jimmy like a really strong episode. But I think coming back and rewatching both episodes uh, now as an adult, I kind of think Thou Shalt Not is a stronger episode. Thou Shalt Not is, 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 is kind of special, I think. I think there's a lot about that episode that is yeah. just like, damn. I mean, they yeah. they had everybody was firing on all cylinders. In yeah. this one. you know, even our creepy Bob Ross as a sexual predator. Uh, I saw <laughs> I saw the Bob Ross thing too. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah. Who's your guys' like uh, favorite character? Because mine was the kid. <laughs> he was so pure and yeah. innocent, and mm-hmm. like he just loved Jimmy so much. He, you know, and he reminded me so much of Fred Savage in the Wonder Years. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, uh, that's a wonderful thing. I wonder how much casting was like, get me Fred Savage. Right. <laughs> get, me, get me not Fred Savage, Fred Savage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How funny is that? Fred Savage at 11 years old was already the, get me somebody like Fred Savage. Savage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got the Corky episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Get me Fred Savage. Oh, Lord. Give, give me his non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's the conversation that took place in the casting room. Yeah. Um, oh, and on that note. Yes. <laughs> so, Jim. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's great. I like Jimmy a lot. Um, and I'm going to mention a spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. So to spoil something that happens later, um, we will see Jimmy and Frank and Connie uh, and crew again. Uh, a couple of times, actually. Uh, and I, I believe end of third, beginning of fourth season, there's a little bit of... Uh, a, an allusion to them. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. And then we get, like, a direct sequel to this episode, which is really one of the very few times that that happens. Uh, and it's part of, like, a, an arc of episodes that is somewhat controversial among some fans, uh, I think. It is, yeah. I was telling Chris off mic, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jumping Ahead the fifth season, the episode delivers from evil. Yeah. Takes a weird turn halfway through. Yeah. Because it's the last season, and they were just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, trying to get something to stick. Oh, and I really can't, I really can't, I, like, honestly, I can't wait till we get there. I mean, I can, because of wanting to experience the rest of this that we're doing, but I'm looking forward to when we get there. Um, And then, uh, as we were actually talking about, too, in the final episode... They come back in a... In a way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Um, So I think that... 
think all that said, yeah, that there is something kind of iconic about this episode, uh, and, and the fact that they would revisit it, revisit these characters, these people, is a testament to that. So, so yeah, that's all we got. Unless we want to talk yeah. about Star Wars for like ten minutes. Oh, we could just go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> I think the consensus in the room, though, off mic, is that everybody enjoyed Force uh, uh, Last Jedi. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so if you're a hater out there. Let us know on our Facebook. Well, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> and Facebook. We all. So, thank you all for for listening, and uh, we will be back um, next week, next time. So help so me help God, me God uh, which we didn't actually talk about the the leap out. He leaps mm-hmm. into an attorney um, standing next to a young black woman, and mm-hmm. they there's a judge yeah. asking how she pleads. pleads guilty or not guilty for the charge of murder for the murder. 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 And, uh, so, definitely yeah, in the yeah. south, the hot and sticky south for sure, and. Um, Sam just turns and looks at her and is like, "Murder," uh, and that's and that's it. So we'll get into uh, we'll get into so help me God next time right. around. Yeah, Chris, thank you for joining. Us. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, good to have you back. We'll uh, we'll definitely get you back in here again. So, all right, cool. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. No